0: Hey friends, it's Katie. Welcome back to the Coconut Grove podcast. This week I'm flying solo and we'll be talking about contradictions in the health and fitness world when it comes to nutrition. Thanks for listening. I can't wait to dive in. Welcome back to another solo episode with Katie. Um, That's me. If you are new to the Coconut Grove podcast, welcome. Um, I hope you are excited about this week's episode. Maybe the title piqued your interest or maybe you just love listening to the podcast. Regardless of the reasons, I'm, yeah, can't say it enough. Thank you for listening. It really does mean a lot to us. So again, I'm Katie. I am one half of the podcast. Usually my co-host Ashley is here, but we've decided to start incorporating solo episodes just to give each other a break a little bit uh, throughout the month, but also so that we can share our interests with each other. So this was a topic I brought up to Ashley that I was interested in covering and she was like, go for it. Let's hear what you have. So I'm really excited about this topic. It's, um, something that I've noticed just observing in my life and observing as a person. And also like, just as I was looking for topic ideas, um, since we've covered nutrition before and anti-diets before, I thought, can we look at this from another way? So, uh, we'll get into uh, contradictions in the nutrition space in a bit, but without further ado, we're going to start with the little intro we do every week. Um, so, again, if you're new here, uh, we usually start off the top of the show just covering a couple of things, reviewing my week, how it went, and what I'm looking forward to, things of that nature. So, the first thing that we do is stories and fun updates um, i don't really have any i usually don't <laughs> most weeks so uh, this week is no exception i have not done really anything that exciting or different that's worth telling about so nothing for that subject the next one is sunshine medicine Um, And that's the thing that like brightens my week or just like made something feel a little bit nicer. So my sunshine medicine this week is Whole Foods. Um, And it has been a sunshine medicine in the past, I think. Um, It just happens to be one of my happy places because I get all of my favorite snacks and all of my favorite treats that I can't get anywhere else. Like the things that are usually on my what's hot list, I've probably got at Whole Foods. Uh, Like the Olipop and Grape because you guys know that that's my current obsession. Uh, Mango cheeks, because you guys know that I love mango cheeks and all the reasons that I've explained in past episodes. So Whole Foods is my sunshine medicine this week. And yeah, I love it. I love the prepared food section. Um, I used to live next door to a Whole Foods when I lived in Portland And I was, that was like my closest grocery store by far. It was literally like two blocks, like walking distance. And and basically I just learned how to figure out how to shop at Whole Foods in the most affordable way. So I've taken those lessons with me today. I will say that inflation does not help and um, Whole Foods is not the cheapest place, but I still love it. What can I say? Okay, so the next su- subject is what I'm looking forward to. So I'm going to be seeing The Mummy, uh, like the 1990, I think it's like 99 or something. I don't know. The old Brennan Fraser, Rachel Weisz, The Mummy. I'm going to go see that um, this weekend in my timeline, but it will have already passed by the time this episode comes out. Um yeah, so there's like a rooftop movie event and one of my friends invited me to go. We really like seeing movies. That's like our friendship is just surrounded like around seeing movies with each other. So she invited me to go see this movie. I, I think without realizing how much I freaking love The Mummy, that specific version, obsessed. I cannot tell a person enough how much I love that movie. Um, the other day, Nestor was like, making an exaggerated number of how many movies would be too much or how many times it would be too much to see a single movie. And his number was like 32 or something like that. But then I was like, well, I mean, if I'm almost 30, I just have to break my life in half. Really. If I started obsessing over a movie by the time I was 15 and pretty much watch it twice a year, that's not that much. I've definitely done that. The Mummy might be a movie that I have seen over 32 times. I don't think I'm exaggerating that. I I love that movie. Anyways, I'm very excited to go to to a whole event around it. That's going to be great. Very up my alley. Uh, The next thing is what's hot. So that's something that I am either observing other people's that I guess are like making something trendy and I'm considering it hot from that perspective or things that I consider on a hot list, like a what's hot, what's not like this is a what's hot. So uh from my observation, it seems that Instagram might be trying to come back. It might be trying to be more relevant. I don't know. I just feel like people are a little bit more active recently on Instagram than I've seen in the past couple of years. Maybe people are just like acknowledging that Instagram is never going to get better. The algorithm is always going to suck. And they're just kind of dealing with that. I wonder. So I don't know. Maybe I'm alone in that. Maybe nobody else really relates to seeing Instagram research, but curious if you are, um, on my, my next item on my what's hot is activism. Um, so I mean, I've said this one in the past before, but, um, if you are looking for something to, um, participate in, if you're looking for ways to, um, help people in general, you're just looking for ways to, to be more helpful, um, Activism is a great avenue for that, obviously. Uh, We just recorded an episode a couple of days ago. Again, wrong timeline for you. This would have been weeks by now, but in my current timeline, recording timeline, I just recorded an episode um, on making healthcare more inclusive and accessible. We had a lovely guest on. Their name is Delia, and they are a future medical student. Um, So, they provided all sorts of really great accessible information on uh, specifically trans and queer healthcare. So kind of with the state of America right now, you might be wanting to get involved and in, in, uh, help change the world in a positive way. So activism might be on your mind as well. So if you haven't already, give that episode a listen. We give um, some pretty great advice or Dealey gives some great advice on how to fight the system Um, And then you can hear their story as well and how that they are fighting the system from the inside, from the healthcare system itself. So that's hot. And then the last thing on my list is this TV show that I started watching. And I'm definitely late to the game because I'm already seeing like for your consideration ads in LA. And that means like everybody's already watched it. (laughs) So I just started. I got a seven day free trial of Showtime and specifically for this show called yellow jackets um maybe everybody's already seen it maybe nobody's seen it who listens to the podcast but I just started I'm like three episodes in so I barely really know anything but it's good basically it's like this high school girls soccer team um is on their way to a championship when their plane crashes and then like shit goes sideways like we're talking like chopping legs off and needing to go hunting and sexism and things like that. Um, yeah, it's great. I'm really enjoying it so far and feel like it's going to be really twisty and like, yeah, like plot twisty. And I guess the genre is psychological thriller. So if that gives you an idea. So yeah, I'm definitely enjoying that. It's hot for sure. So yeah, that's our that's our usual week thing. Um, that's me in a nutshell for this week. Um... So let's go ahead and get into this topic. I'm going to introduce a couple of topic goals to you guys. We started doing that recently. Um, And this is kind of what to expect with this week's episode. So um, the general theme of the episode is how nutrition advice is contradictory. Um, Yeah, because basically what you see on the internet is like, eat this. No, don't eat that. That's bad for you. Eat this. No, don't eat that thing. That thing is also bad for you. Eat this instead. And it just goes on in circles. So that's kind of the concept of the episode. So here are my goals for what I hope for you to take away from the episode. Uh, The first one is to identify an area of health and nutrition I believe to be harmful. The next is to share examples of conflicting nutritional advice and how it can be damaging. I want to briefly explore the history and exclusiveness of nutrition as we know it. And I want to talk about some ways that we uh, can kind of find helpful advice through the muddiness of the ambiguity and contradictory uh, nature that is nutrition. So those are the goals. Hopefully, I will achieve them by the end of the episode. Without further ado, let's get into it. Let's, Let's do some topic talking. Okay, let's talk about nutrition advice and why it is so contradictory and hard to understand. So what do I mean by contradictory and hard to understand? Well, let me give you some examples. Um, Some examples are like when you hear like, don't eat egg yolks. And the reason why they're saying don't eat egg yolks is because of the high cholesterol. But the contradiction is that we also know that egg yolks contain other vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants. And then we also know that there is no association with eggs and heart disease. So contradictory information uh the same thing is with carbs which is probably one that you're most cognizant of because it's probably everywhere more more front of mind than others Um, so the information is carbs are bad Um, and the contradictory information would be that you know and this carbs are bad usually is linked to studies like here's why carbs are bad and here's the low carbon keto diet information for you to read on because you know Sugars and your body doesn't process it correctly, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But then, on the reverse, you also have studies that show that there is no link between carbs and heart disease or cancer. Um, and then there's also the very fun, very hard to understand, like calories situation. So, should you or should you not take calories at face value? Um, there's information that shows that calories are not made to be equal, um, that Um, From studies like done on high protein diets and studies on appetites and craving, they show that each type of uh, area of nutrition, like fat, carbs, proteins, uh, macronutrients, they all have varying, um, they all contribute in varying ways to fullness, to appetite. Um, And therefore, coming to the conclusion that not all calories are made equal, but then you also go to the grocery store and you see those 100 calorie packs that are selling the image of all calories should be made equal. So that's kind of the, the contradictory nature that I'm looking to explore. I don't, I don't want anybody to take this information as nutrition advice, as, um, I mean, really, that's pretty much it. Like, don't, don't take this as advice to, like, use a as a way to create new um, new boundaries around nutrition, to create new lifestyles around eating. That's not what this episode is here for. It's just here to kind of like enlighten on, on the subject and just make you a little bit more critical when it comes to looking at nutrition advice. So let's take a step back. Let's look at the history of nutrition a little bit. So uh, upon doing this research, I came across a 2014 opinion piece um, that was talking about why there's so much uh, conflict and contradiction in nutrition um, and why there are growing obesity rates and growing um, rates in heart disease while we learned information. So that's kind of what they were exploring in this opinion piece, which I found really information Um So they talk about how in the 1960s, uh, nutrition and science were dominated by two conflicting observations. One is that we know how to eat healthy and maintain a healthy weight. And the other is that there there were rapid increases of obesity and diabetes, suggesting something was off, right? So that's where they explore in this opinion piece. They raise a question in the article. They say, if we understand these disorders so well... Why have we failed so miserably to prevent them? So basically looking at the history of like since the 1960s, we've been looking at these issues of diabetes, of obesity, of uh, heart disease. How come they're continuing to get worse even though we know more information about it? And so essentially this piece came to the conclusion that um, it, these are all done on observational studies. All the studies of heart disease and of these things are observational studies. And furthermore, the information in these studies was pretty ambiguous, so it didn't really support one thing or another. Um, so that's kind of where this uh, this person goes in, in their opinion piece is basically pointing out like, okay, we have all of this information, we're continuing to learn, but the studies that are being done are not critical enough. They're they're observational and there's no way in on what is actually causing these rises and these increases in obesity and diabetes. So they vote at the very end, they're like, I think it's sugar and refined grains, but we all have our biases. Um, So I I just think that's really interesting um, kind of looking back at 2014, almost a decade ago. Now, when we look a little bit more recent in history, we're looking at the 1990s with the 2000 calorie diet. So I want to read a little bit on the history of where we came up with this number and why we came up with this number. So I'm going to pick apart a couple of sentences from this article that I feel like really explain it well. Um, So they say that the FDA needed a benchmark for the average calorie consumption, even though calorie requirements were varying based on body size and individual characteristics. The FDA proposed a single number, a single daily calorie intake of 2,350 calories per day based on a USDA survey. Despite the observable fact that 2,350 calories per day is below the average requirements for either man or woman obtained in the doubly labeled water experiments, most of the people who responded to the comments judged and proposed the benchmark too high. They're basically saying that, okay, we recognize that 2,350 calories is probably under the amount of the general population, but we still think that's too high. And the reason why it was really interesting is is they were saying um, they were worried that it would encourage overconsumption. Um, And obviously, if we're thinking about the 90s, come on, you can't You don't have to think too hard or remember too hard about the 90s to understand what was being fed to us um, from a media standpoint of what nutrition and health looked like. Um, That was kind of the rise of the stick thin figure. So it doesn't surprise me that that's what they were saying, uh, that they were afraid that that would lead to overconsumption. Although I will give the FDA a little bit of credit, Um, they did expand to say that this is kind of like a base. This was not the one uh, end-all be-all number. Uh, They said that they encouraged people to adjust the calorie intake based on age, sex, activity, and life stage. So just giving credit where credit is due. Also, you know, with this history, we kind of acknowledge that the 2,000 calorie diet does not have to apply anymore. So although we're aware of the information, we also have to just go that one extra step and say, okay, this information does not apply anymore. We're encouraging people to eat 2,000 calories, but they're hearing that as the maximum number and therefore eating diets or being encouraged to eat at a deficit, which means they'd be eating close to 1,600 calories or 1,200 calories, which is not healthy for any human to eat. So be, be aware of that information when we're looking at the history of nutrition. On top of that, we can also look at the food pyramid in a similar vein. Um, so it was introduced also in the 90s. Um, no surprise there. Um, so when I was reading about the food pyramid, I was reading it kind of also from the perspective of what nutritionists were thinking. Um, so basically the reason for the food pyramid is because they wanted to simplify information. They did not think that the majority of the public would really understand the nuance of nutrition and of food. So it was created in order to simplify. Um, and there was also research around that time around fat, but, the research was done specifically around saturated fat, but again, they, they didn't really have the trust that people would understand the difference between fat and saturated fat. So they kind of made a much clearer message that fat is bad and that grains are not. And that's kind of how we ended up with that really misconstrued idea of what health is. But History can be very damaging. So when you're teaching entire populations, especially children, what is healthy and what is not, and you're giving them really falsified versions of what is healthy. I mean, honestly, that can lead to generations of eating disorders. So as somebody who grew up in the 90s, speaking from experience, yes, these things are quite damaging. Um, so I think it's important to look back at the history of nutrition, especially as, as nutrition as you know it and what you've been taught, and think a little bit more critically. Um, but before we move on, on to some of the other aspects of this topic, I want to just touch on a couple of really interesting areas of research that are happening now. So looking at this in, in the vein of where nutrition has been in the past. I wanted to look at where it's going. Um, So without really diving too deep, I wanted to give you some really interesting subjects that are being researched on right now. And in the show notes, I will link a resource where I found where these studies are happening and where you can... Read more, see what else is happening in the world of food, and get curious because it's pretty interesting. So, there are a lot of studies being done right now on microbiome, on gut bacteria, on laboratory made food. There's studies being done reworking portion sizes as we know it, uh, studies at looking at good water and water insecurity and food insecurity, uh, and then looking at food in the ways that it affects mental health and developmental disorders. Another area of this subject that I thought would be really interesting to look at is obviously the the way that food plays in culture and how nutrition advice specifically plays a part in culture. So I have a couple articles that I'll link down below, but these articles were specifically speaking with um, a, a diverse set of dietitians um, and I think nutritionists as well. Um, so basically, the articles were kind of playing around with the idea of does food and culture impact each other and what which one kind of comes first like when we're looking at giving nutritional advice should we be aware of other cultures and obviously you and I know the answer is yes but you got to start somewhere (laughs) So I want to highlight a couple of these experiences from these dietitians and nutritionists who are observing nutrition in the in the lens of being you know, more culturally aware, more, more culturally sensitive. Um, so you might be asking yourself, like, what is being culturally sensitive when it comes to food? What does that really mean or look like? So this article asks the same question, and basically the conclusion is, it, how it affects culture, obviously, and uh, ethnicities being determined by socioeconomic status, education, food security or insecurity, uh, housing status, employment status, food access. Um, and basically, these factors will lead to social gradients and health inequities. In terms of nutrition advice, it. Requires the dietitian or the nutritionist to be responsive, appropriate, and effectively match their clients' lifestyles in uh, terms of their living conditions, dietary needs, and food culture. So, in these articles, there were a couple of stories of these dietitians who were speaking from experience on mistakes that they have made or patterns that they've noticed. So, I'll go ahead and read one of these experiences. Um, So they said, I was made aware that because some people had not seen many of the foods being presented as healthy, they automatically assumed that they were not. I had also come across some people who felt like they had to give up traditional foods that they had loved and include novel foods to have a, quote, healthy diet. So that's where the the damage of food pyramids and the, the basis number for calories that all people should meet is when you're generalizing such information and you only have a specific image of a dietitian or a nutritionist giving out very westernized diet and nutrition information, it really excludes <laughs> a, a majority of the population, really, when you think about it. Because, like, how. How prevalent is Western food really in in the culture of the world? Like obviously has left its print, but we're talking about highly processed foods. When you think of Western American food, you're usually thinking of really highly processed foods. But at the end of the day, we know that food is much more diverse than what, what a lot of Americans would consider to be just like a standard dinner. So having to weigh that in obviously matters, and it matters a lot for a lot of people. I'm going to read another experience. They say culture can significantly affect some people's food preferences, food intake and lifestyle choices. With that being said, food is being seen as more than just nutrition or as a necessity for a balanced diet. It can be an expression of identity and tradition. So, when you have a when you have information on what nutrition should be or should look like and it should look like a salmon with a plate of rice, you're excluding what a lot of cultures experience with food. You're really just taking away the fun of it, the culture of it. You're taking away the tradition of it when you're making it so um, black and white, really. So I find that really interesting. This last experience I want to highlight is that they say, um, many patients have extremely limited income and healthy foods like I just said, like salmon and avocado may be too expensive for them to eat on a weekly basis. Likewise, it's common practice to recommend outdoor walks as a physical activity, but many providers don't realize that some people don't feel safe walking around their neighborhoods after work. So although that's not specific to nutrition, I think that's specific to health. It belongs in the conversation. I wanted to highlight that as well. So when we talk about being culturally sensitive, we're talking about all of these factors. It's not just about where somebody's food comes from. It, it has to do with the way that they perceive the food, the, the foods that they've had introduced in their life, the things that they have access to. Um, so we have to weigh all of those pieces out when we're talking about nutrition. And that's why these um, very cut and dry examples of what nutrition looks like is very different damaging and also this is where it becomes contradictory all right before we end the episode i want to talk about some ways that we can look at what like what healthy is and some ways that we can learn to redefine it so i wanted to ask the question what is healthy and man that is a pandora's box when it comes to google articles on articles so I want to read you what this website considers healthy. And this is from goodrx.com. So it should, I mean, it leads you to assume that this advice should be, like, accurate. It should be well-researched. It should be backed up, right? Let me tell you what this website defines as healthy. And this is specific to dinner. Um, so they, they give you three steps to define healthy, The first one is the color crunch test, and it's to measure variety. Basically, it's to look at your plate and see that you have a variety of color and a variety of textures. Um, That way, you're making sure that you're filling your plate up with as many, I guess, like many nutrients as possible. I don't think that's necessarily bad advice personally, so we're we're gonna continue on. This is where it gets funny. Their next test is called the whole test. And their whole test says, make sure that half of your plate is whole grains. That's the whole test. But the next test is the fraction test. And they say that your half of your plate should be fruits and veggies. And then beneath that, they say, and then save the other quarters for grains and protein. So this is, <laughs> this is like in real life, in real time, reading you a contradiction on this website. It's telling you, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I'm just making bad assumptions, but what it reads, and this is something that you have to understand when you're giving nutrition information out, you have to understand that it needs to be taken in a way that people can understand reasonably what the information is. So this does not, in my opinion, meet those standards. It's telling you half of your plate should be whole grains, and then half your plate should be fruit and veggies, but also a quarter of your plate should be grains, and a quarter of it should be protein. That does not equal whole. In my opinion, you cannot put all those pieces together. You cannot put two halves and two quarters together to equal whole. I don't think that math works. So thought that was kind of funny. So with all of this contradiction out there, how do you define what health is? Well, I have some advice for you. And again, I am not a nutritionist. This is just like based off of what I've been reading and what I feel would be some good steps to take. But don't you don't have to listen to me. You don't. In fact... Take this information to somebody who is professional and ask them what to do with my information. This is just for your knowledge. So the ways that I feel like we could redefine health. First is understand that nutrition must weigh in who you are and what your life is like. How old are you? What is your family history? Uh, What is your activity level? What do you hope to achieve in your health? What are you reasonably capable of? What foods do you like and dislike when it comes to, sorry, what foods do you like and dislike despite its supposed nutritional value? The next step is to follow the rules of thumb when reading evidence based nutrition information. I'm gonna give you that in just a second. So when you're reading any sort of science backed study, make sure that we're being critical about it. And the last step is if you need help, get it. Find yourself a dietitian who is able to work with you and your needs and is culturally sensitive. So make sure you're finding a professional. Um, I think, real of thumb, is find a dietitian over a nutritionist. They have um, more extensive background on nutrition. They know what they're talking about. It's a lot harder to become a dietitian. So make sure you're looking for a dietitian there. Okay, so how do you use critical thinking when it comes to some of these studies? This is the last piece of. Episode that I want to leave you with. Uh, So, I'm going to give you a couple of steps on how to really get to the gist of a study and see if it's actually legitimate. So, these are some really helpful tips that I found that I think could be helpful for you as well. So, uh, when you're reading the study, you got to ask yourself some of these questions Were humans involved? Did the study generalize? What is the sample size and what are the demographics used in the study? Was it an observational study? did the study have a conflict of interest? The next thing to observe is the ways that nutrition has a bias in your own brain. So we need to make sure that we're not seeking out confirmation bias. We're not seeking out information to confirm what we already know. In fact, we should be looking at the opposite. You're going to try and disprove all of the information you think you know. Therefore, we're not falling for pseudoscience. So the example is like, are you a diehard keto fan? Try connecting with somebody who's a diehard carbs eater um, and exchange information there. We don't want to get caught in a loop of just feeding ourselves the same information without being critical about it. Remember that nothing is black and white and be comfortable in this gray area of not knowing what's really like, quote, healthy, because we can be going back and forth on egg yolks all day long, on fats and carbs all day long. But at the end of the day, none of that is really that helpful. And some of it is just kind of gray. It doesn't have to be black and white. Um, And some of it is very black and white. But again, you're going to have to do that research in order to find it. Um, And then this article also was asking this question to scientists of how you can really determine what is, like, accurate information and what is not. And this is the advice that they said. So generally, you should always consider all the available research on a question, not just on single studies. So they recommend um, systematic reviews or meta-analyses. And then look at the types of trials that they have done and the types of studies they did on this specific question. Are they doing clinical trials, observational data? Are they looking at lab studies? And if they are and they're all pointing in the same direction and coming to a common conclusion, you can make your, um, you can make your assumptions and your conclusions there based on all of that information combined. So that's their advice um, to really clarify what's real, what's fake, what you should look at. And I'm sure if Ashley was on this episode, she would have a very specific process or go, yep, that's exactly what we do um, in her research and in her scientific world. But it all comes together. It's all the same at the end of the day, isn't it? But yeah, that's me. That's the episode. We're doing a nice brief one this week. Um, Give you guys a break because I know we are chatty people. And um, hopefully you appreciate that about us. That's how you're listening. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I hope it was insightful, enlightening. I hope you look at your food and nutrition in a a way of um, nuance and not in a way of like very, this is healthy, this is unhealthy. Um, In a perfect world and in an ideal world for me, I think people would stop looking at food like it is a source of pain because the ways that we treat nutrition now, I think are just... Just they become pain, pain points for people, so that would be ideal for me. No more eating disorders and using food to threaten or torture or whatever. That's a really awful way to end the episode, but that's me, I guess. <laughs> Welcome to my brain. Okay, well, thank you guys so much again for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at the Coconut Grove. Um, you can follow me at Katie Desson and look down below in the notes for all the other links and sources and places to leave us reviews. Thank you so much, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye.